Hello again, friends, and welcome on into episode 73 of The Sco Show, proudly a part of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network and brought to you by the great folks at SB Nation. My name is Mark Schofield, back in the big chair for today, Thursday, February 6, 2020. Today on tap, it's going to be a quarterback show. In the first half, I'm going to talk about a quarterback scenario that's been bouncing around in my head for a while now, and I actually see that there's a good way to delve into it a bit. There's a mock draft out from Chris Tapasso, good buddy over at CBS Sports, and I kind of want to use that as a framework for my thought process here. And then we're going to talk about two quarterbacks in particular. We're going to talk about Jacob Eason and Jake Fromm. Why? Well, partly because as we look ahead now to Indy in the Combine, which, knocking on wood, I'm going to be out there for. Got the accommodations all booked up. I'm going to be out there. I actually changed my schedule. I was going to fly in Tuesday morning, fly out Friday morning. Then I get the email from the NFL that the quarterbacks, the tight ends, and the wide receivers are going to be available to the media from 8 a.m. to 11 a.m. on Tuesday morning. And my flight, I was looking at it, landed at 11.25 Tuesday morning. And I didn't think somebody like me who focuses on the quarterbacks I didn't think it made a lot of sense for me to land 25 minutes after the QBs were done talking to the media. And so, made some rearrangements. So, planning that to be in Monday night, get a chance to talk to the quarterbacks, media portion on Tuesday. But as we start to look to the combine, we're going to start thinking about some of the quarterbacks we haven't spent a ton of time on. So, I'm going to talk some Jacob Eason and some Jake Fromm. I'm getting ready for the combine, so did some more film work on them. So, I'm going to have some thoughts on those guys, mostly on Eason, but Fromm as well. But before we do anything, your usual cavalcade of reminders. Please do follow along the hijinks, and they are hijinks indeed on Twitter at Mark Schofield. And check out the work at places like InsideThePylon.com, Pro Football Weekly, Matt Waldman's Rookie Scouting Portfolio, and yes, one, two, and three different SB Nation websites, Big Blue View, Bleeding Green Nation, and Pat's Pulpit. Also, some reminders. Please leave some reviews for the show. I'd like to see some new ones. I can read some new ones on the air. I've got some old ones I can read, but... I don't want to do that. Also, check out our new show on the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network, Deep Down the Middle. It's got Ryan Carey and Brian Phillips doing great work. Check it out. They do a video show as well, and then they put the audio on the podcast network, so check that out. Also, for those of you of the fantasy mindset, I recorded an episode on Wednesday night. I don't know when it's going to drop, but of the Superflex pod with my boy Shane at DFF underscore swag. It's always fun being on with swag. I um, always have a blast with them. We've spent about an hour or so talking quarterbacks and a lot of Patriot stuff actually in that. So follow him on Twitter. Check out the show when it drops. You can follow him again at DFF underscore swag, S-W-A-G. Follow Superflex Pod at Superflex Pod, as it sounds, Superflex Pod, all one word. Check that out. Um, yeah, something a little different, so you can check that out as well. So let's talk this scenario. And I may have mentioned it before, but now that others are talking about it, maybe it's picking up a little bit of steam. And the scenario is this. Five quarterbacks in the top 15 of this draft. The more I think about this, the more likely I think it actually happens. And we know the teams at the top of the draft that need a quarterback. Cincinnati, Miami, the Chargers, those three in the top six stick out, right? And I can't get by a scenario of Burrow at one to Cincinnati, Tua Tungvaluwa at five, or maybe three and a pick flip thing with Detroit, 
But he goes to the Dolphins in the top five. Then Justin Herbert at six. So there you go. There's three quarterbacks right there. And then before you get to Denver at 15, you've got Carolina that might need a quarterback. You've got the Raiders at 12, the Colts at 13, and the Bucks at 14. All of those teams I could see drafting a quarterback. Now, obviously, free agency will have a bit of a role to play in how this shakes out. I don't want to do too much Brady 2020 talk, but you probably did see his Instagram story where he was taking questions from followers on Instagram and was asked what team he's going to play for and didn't say a word. I don't anticipate Tom Brady signing with one of these teams, although there have been rumblings. A lot of people are saying maybe Tampa Bay, something I floated a while ago. But while free agency does have a part to play here, I can't get past the idea of Jordan Love coming off the board either at 7 to Carolina or maybe at 12 to the Raiders or 13 to the Colts. And then you get to 14 in Tampa Bay, and that's where we get into Jacob Eason territory. And so in the past couple of days, and even longer than that, I've been kicking around this idea that we might see five in the top 15 or five in the top 14. I was on QB Sco show with Michael Kist. We talked about this possibility. And then, like I said, Chris Trapasso over at CBS did a mock. And you can check it out at cbssports.com. And here's how he has his latest mock unfolded. Burrow at one. Seems like we can lock it in. But then he has Jordan Love at five to Miami. And he makes the case that, look... Chan Gailey might like the idea of the spread quarterback background with Jordan Love over Tua. The injury history maybe has them concerned. But then Chargers at six, they hop on Tua. He falls in their lap. Then the Panthers at seven, they draft Justin Herbert. So there you go. Four quarterbacks in the top seven. And then you get to Jacob Eason at 14 to Tampa Bay. And that's a pairing that a lot of people have made. I know during Senior Bowl week, I was sort of talking about maybe Jalen Hurts would be a fit for Tampa Bay and Bruce Arians and his offense, given how well Jalen Hurts throws the deep ball, number one. And number two, if they bring Jameis Winston back, they might want to have sort of a developmental type behind him. And so Jalen Hurts in the later rounds of the draft might make some sense. You know, if you're Tampa Bay, maybe you go... Jameis Winston, you bring him back. Then at 14, you draft a different position. Then maybe that pick at 76 in the third round or 107 in the fourth makes a ton of sense for Jalen Hurts. That's kind of a sweet landing spot, landing scenario for Jalen Hurts at Tampa Bay. But Chris has Jacob Eason at 14. And I think if you assume that they move on from Jameis Winston, that makes a great deal of sense. And we're going to spend some time on Jacob Eason in a moment and why that fit would make sense. But it's one heck of a landing spot. And maybe I finally get the Bruce Arians quarterback pair in marriage right after whiffing on it with Cardale Jones a couple of years ago and then Patrick Mahomes a few years ago. So that's one way 
that another person sees this potentially playing out. Now, here's the focal point that I want to make. If we make the assumption, and I think it's a fair assumption to make, that Tom Brady's back in New England, number one. And number two, the part of the reason he decides to return to New England is that the New England Patriots commit, in a sense, to getting him some help, getting him some weapons. If we see five quarterbacks in the top 14 of this draft, think of the names and the weapons that potentially fall. Like, for example, to use Chris's mock for a second, Henry Ruggs then falls to 19 in Oakland. LaVisca Chenault at 21 to the Eagles. T. Higgins, 22 to the Buffalo Bills. Jalen Ragor, 24 to the Saints. Brandon Ayuk, 26 to the Dolphins. You have some wide receiver talent get pushed down the board if we have that scenario play out. And so as we start thinking about the combine and the draft process, from a Patriots fan perspective, here's what you want to see unfold. Number one, you want Tom Brady back in the fold. Like I think we can all sort of agree, maybe there are some pockets of Patriots fans out there that think it's time to move on. I don't count myself among them. I want to see TB12 back, but I do think he needs some help. So the next step in this process is, we want to see these guys like Jacob Eason, Jordan Love, and Justin Herbert have fantastic, fantastic throwing sessions at Indy. We want to see these guys light it up. And now, look, Herbert and Love, they have a good bit of momentum going in, right? Because they both had good senior bowl weeks. You also want to get Jordan, I mean, not Jordan. You want to get Tua Tungo-Vailoa's medicals to check out as well at the combine. And then you want to get Jacob Eason throwing well at the combine. And I'm already sort of piecing it together. It's a piece I've written a couple of times before. It's the most important place in Indy for each quarterback. And putting Burrow aside, because I don't think there's anything he can do to help himself. But for Tua, it's the medicals. For Herbert, I think it's the whiteboard sessions. I think he has to show sort of the mental stuff. You know, people are going to have questions about his offense. For Jordan Love, I I think it's going to be the throw-in session that's going to be huge for him. For Eason, I think it's also the whiteboard. And in part, the throw-in session. I have some questions about timing and rhythm with him which we'll talk about in a moment. But you want to see these guys light it up because what does that mean? That means guys like Ruggs, guys like Ayuk, guys like Ragor, guys like Higgins, guys like Chenault, they might be there at 23. And there's, yes, free agency and stuff to play out. But if New England comes out of the first night of the draft with a Tom Brady back in the fold and one of these wide receivers? That's pretty nice. Especially when you're thinking, I went into this with Shane when we recorded our show on Wednesday night. 
You look at the Patriots wide receiver room, you've got questions around Edelman, and you've got questions with Edelman. Look, he's getting old and slot receiver. It's almost like playing running back. It's a the miles add up. The hits accumulate. So even if you're still a believer in Nikhil Harry, they still need some help in that room. There's some great wide receivers in this draft class. And so if you're a Patriots fan and you start thinking about Indy and you start thinking about how this board can fall, you got to be praying that these quarterbacks crush it out of the combine. So that's a scenario I sort of wanted to work through up next. We're going to talk about Easton some more and a little bit about Jake Fromm. I've got some thoughts on him. That is ahead on this latest installment. This is episode number 73 of the SCO Show. Mark Schofield back with you now on episode 73 of the SCO Show. And we're going to talk Jacob Easton and Jake Fromm here in a moment. But since it is, in effect, the offseason, although football really has no offseason, I love this time of year because it gives me sort of a chance to catch up on some other stuff, you know? Um, You don't have the day-to-day, almost hour-to-hour grind of the NFL regular season to get through where you're not you know, watching film all the time and writing different pieces and radio and pods and all that stuff. You get a chance to sort of slow down and catch your breath and enjoy some interest away from the world of football. For example, you know, I've been told for months now that I need to watch Peaky Blinders. Finally had a chance to sit down and start watching it. I finished the season finale of episode one after the Super Bowl and I've been blown away. Fantastic show. And those of you that know me or follow me or whatever, you know I've got a you know, a big interest in history. And so, well, I'm not going to dive into the realm of the historical reference as I do to start every episode of the QB Scotia with Michael Kiss. I am going to throw from time to time some book recommendations. And I just finished The Longest Winter, The Battle of the Bulge, and the epic story of World War II's most decorated platoon by Alex Kershaw. This is a fantastic book. Just absolutely fantastic. Um, Tells a story about um, the 394th... Intelligence and Reconnaissance Platoon, 394th Infantry Regiment, 99th Infantry Division at the Battle of the Bulge. They were they held the flank of the American Army until they ran out of ammunition. They were all captured. Many of them were severely wounded. There was one guy, and I told this story, I actually read from the book on the most latest, on the most recent installment of the QB Sco show. He got hit in the face with a rifle grenade. It didn't explode, but it fractured the guy's jaw in three places. His bottom teeth were embedded in the roof of his mouth. They had no morphine. They had no pain medication to give this guy. They just, his bunker mate basically gauzed his face together, knowing full well that they had to start firing again or they were going to be overrun by Germans. They were eventually captured. And this guy was bounced from like POW camp, from POW camp, and never saw pain meds until basically he was rescued near the end of the war. And there were other guys in this platoon that suffered severe injuries. All of them went to POW camps where they became emaciated, lost maybe 40, 50, 60 pounds, sick, dysentery. Just a tremendously compelling story. But just the heroism, the bravery of these men, uh, it was just a fantastic, fantastic book. So if you get a chance, check it out, The Longest Winter. It's by Alex Kershaw. Now that I've done that, let's talk Jacob Eason here for a moment. And we're getting into the pre-combine realm, of course, and I'm getting my work done on these guys before I go out to Indy. And I watched 
two more games of Jacob Eason on Wednesday. I watched him against California, and I watched him against Oregon. And as is sometimes the case, when I get done watching games, I'm now like six games in on his season this year. I sometimes end up with more questions than answers. And that's a situation I'm struggling with right now with Jacob Eason and how I sort of feel about it. I'm sort of going to talk through the situation here because when I watched Jacob Eason, and I actually did a piece on this very topic at Matt Walton's site. You can check it out, mattwaldenrsp.com. And I'm going to work on a follow-up to it because I still have these questions. I have questions about how he reads the middle of the field. Because, for example, there's a play in his game against Cal. It's a second-and-five situation where they have a motion pre-snap. Nobody really moves, so it looks like it's a zone. He pumps on the, the fake smoke screen, and he's trying to throw this sort of deep route working towards the boundary, like a deep out. And it's open. And he doesn't throw it. And then he just sort of comes back and throws the smoke screen again, and it goes for no gain. Or he had another throw in this game where he's got his tight end on a crosser, and he's wide open. And he doesn't throw it. And he does what he often does sometimes, which is spin with his back to the line of scrimmage, back towards his left. So he goes towards his offhand and then tries to make something happen in a scramble drill situation. And you see moments like this when he's got options in the middle of the field or, you know, I mentioned the out route. It's but still before the hash mark and he doesn't throw it. And I've got some pocket management questions as well. There's a second 15 against Cal where he has a little bit of pressure off the edge, but he has his tight end, Hunter Bryant, open over the middle, like wide open. And he panics, tries to escape, ends up getting stripped and fumbles. And then there's some situational awareness stuff. The end of the game against Cal, they're trailing 17-16 with about 2.30 left. And... They face a second and eight on the plus 29. They look to throw a smoke screen to the right. It gets blown up. So he doesn't throw it, which is a great decision, right? But then he does his spin pirouette thing where he rolls out to the left. Now he's rolling backside where he's got one receiver who's kind of taken off now and going vertical on a scramble drill. And rather than like throwing it away at this point, he slides and gives himself up for a three-yard loss. And again, let's remember the situation. It's 17-16. You're down by one with about three minutes left. You're at the plus 29. So from that point, it's a what? 46-yard field goal? Now you've made it a 49-yard field goal. Now, on the next pass attempt on third down falls incomplete. The guy kicks it. Great. But you made... A field goal that much tougher. Just throw it away. It reminded me of Mitchell Trubisky when he ran out of bounds. I think it was their game against Washington. Rather than just throwing it away. And when you're getting comped to Mitchell Trubisky, friends, it's not a good place to be. And so I've got questions about situational awareness and read in the middle of the field. But then 
having said all that, he'll come out third and 17 against Cal. He's got a three-by-one formation, trips to the right, single receiver with a running back staggered to the left. They run spot wheel. The X receiver runs spot. Running back runs the wheel. That comes to the, the single receiver side. And then it's verts with a bender from number three from right to left. He makes an anticipation throw. He sees the weak side linebacker open his hips towards the spot route. He knows he's got the middle of the field, makes an anticipation throw, gets it out before number three on the bender, clears the linebacker, puts it on the money. And you see moments where he's reading the middle of the field extremely well. And so here's the question that I'm struggling with. A quarterback that reads the middle of the field rather inconsistently but shows flashes in that area. How do you stack him with quarterbacks that sometimes aren't even asked to do it or do it so sparingly? Like, that's the thing I'm struggling with with Jacob Eason because he shows promise in that area, perhaps ahead of even Herbert and Love. And when you look at heat maps of the NFL, the seams, they're a big part of the game right now because so many teams play single high coverage. So attacking up the seams and attacking that soft spot of single high coverage is where the ball needs to go. So it's important that a quarterback can read the middle of the field. So what I'm struggling with is his inconsistency in that area. Is it better or worse? Is it actually something that works in his favor because at least he's shown some promise and some potential and some ability to execute, whereas other guys haven't. So that's the thing that I'm sort of working through. And what's interesting is I haven't done final grades on any of these guys yet. I've got a good sense of where that's going to end up. I could see Easton as my as high as QB3. I could see a scenario where when I finally sit down and I put these guys' grades in, it's Burrow, it's Tua, it's Eason. I could see him falling all the way to like five or six. And so, again, I'm not done with him, but that's sort of the conceptual thing that I'm struggling with. Now, I've, I've sort of gone long on him, so I just want to briefly touch. I'll talk some more about Jake Fromm in the days and weeks to come. But I want to leave you sort of with this. Let you ruminate on this for a minute, for a couple of days, however long. There's going to be an NFL team that's going to fall in love with Jake Fromm. I'm going to say that right now. I think that's one of the surest bets I can make about this entire draft. Because they're going to see a quarterback that makes throws on time, in rhythm, with some anticipation, with some good ball placement, that makes the right reads, the right decisions, and has played in some big games. We often talk in terms of evaluating prospects of ceilings and floors. Justin Herbert might have a pretty high ceiling. Jordan Love might have a very high ceiling. Jacob Eason might have a very high ceiling. These guys might have some low floors to them too. It always feels like when you get into the later part of the draft, you see some of these guys that they don't really have high ceilings. I don't think anybody expects Fromm to come into the league and just tear it up and be the next Patrick Mahomes. But he has a very nice floor, I'd say. And I always talk about how you need a backup quarterback 
Teams need to upgrade at the backup spot. If you're a fan of a team or coaching or helping run a team, that offense is predicated upon having the quarterback get the ball out when it needs to get out of his hand to the right receiver on time, in rhythm, with good placement. You're going to like Jake Fromm. Do you know any teams that sort of value that in the quarterback position? Because I think the New England Patriots are one. Do you know a team that might crave that at the quarterback position? Because the Chicago Bears are one. And so there's more time to be spent on Jake Fromm in the shows and the days and the weeks to come. But could I find myself talking myself into Jake Fromm over the weeks to come? Absolutely. Will an NFL team? With certainty. And so, don't sleep on Jake Fromm. That's all I'm going to say. That will do it for today. I will be back Monday morning with Mock Draft 2.0. I know people have been getting their mocks in already. Because people are people love Mock Draft season. I love Mock Draft season. Everybody loves Mock Draft season. But great friend of the show. At XX, Isaac Gogol, XX, X-X-I-S-A-A-C-G-O-G-E-L-X-X, who's changed the handle to kind of want Brady on the Titans, Isaac. But he was asking, he's already got his mock in. So we'll be talking about, I gotta say, a teaser. Kind of a fan of what he did. I'll just say that right now. Kind of a fan of what he did. But get your mocks in for Monday. Shoot them over via email. Slack channel, wherever. Hit me up on Twitter, at Mark Schofield. Again, the Slack channel, can't recommend it enough for draft season. It's the best time of the year to be in the Slack channel because we're talking draft all the time. Like I said, that will do it for today. I will be back Monday. Until next time, friends, please keep on blessing that Patriots reign down in Foxborough.